Welcome to the Lord's house, and uh, I pray this message is helpful to all of you and empowers you to also be helpful in the lives of others. We also welcome those who are watching online. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled hearts prove acceptable, Lord, that we might be open, that I might be open for your prompting, that your spirit would speak through me, and that your people would be open to your prompting and would receive the word that is appropriate for their life and their situation. This we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. When I see that title package, that, that video, uh, my mind immediately went back to about 10 days ago when a, a father called the office and, and, and talked to Amory, who's been up till today my administrative assistant, you know, and, uh, and wanted to make an appointment to see me. And Anne-Marie's been well instructed, why would you like to see Pastor Howard? Because if you're selling wax for the floors in the building, he doesn't deal with that. You know, shouldn't say it that way, but that's the thought. And, and, uh, and he wouldn't indicate why he wanted to meet with me. And so right away she said, you know, it's a personal matter. And, and uh, she honors that and recognizes that I'd be happy to meet with him. And so set up an appointment. And... Um, I knew of him. I didn't know him well. He and his wife had come down, and, and we'd talked before after service. And, and so he came in, and they're a typical West County family. We're talking about labels today. What does that conjure up for you, that label of a West County family? If you're in South County, let me tell you, they have an idea what you are. You know it. You know it. And so uh, he comes in, and he's obviously a successful man. He is. And uh, he's raising successful kids. In fact, his oldest son uh, was just about ready to leave and by now has left for his first year of college. Full ride athletic scholarship label. Successful dad, successful son, competitive, capable, successful. I said, so what can I do for you? He said, I I just got to talk to somebody. You know, not safe for somebody with an image like his to talk to somebody about a problem. Labels. Prisons without bars. He said, uh, we discovered that my son is involved again in recreational drug use. Again. He said, I thought we were past that. And uh, I discovered irrefutable evidence. And he said, Pastor, you would not believe how epidemic it is in our West County schools, and it's not the typical kid that you would see, you know, like Stephen on our video, you know, with the tats and the hiding behind the hair and the piercings, and you say, okay, I get it, a musician. But it's interesting, if you take that video back that we watched as an intro to this message, he's 27 now, 17 years ago, they showed the image on the, on the nightstand there, you know, of a clean-cut, all-American Christian guy, which wasn't exactly who he was. And when he got a taste of freedom, he said he took it to the sky. In other words, he abused his freedom. You know, if we don't have honest conversation with our kids, with each other, you know, eventually, as we learned in a seminar at a leadership summit recently, if you don't talk it out, you will act it out. And so this dad comes in and he says, so I I told my son, he said, that son, the one that does drugs, he can't live here. That son can't live in this house because we have other children in this house. And I can't have that influence. That son, that drug son, cannot live in this house. Now, the son that I love, the son 
who is freed from that, he is always welcomed here, and I will do whatever it takes to get you there. The son didn't see it exactly the same way, didn't think it was a problem. And so they parted ways, his son off to school, and dad here worrying about what damage he had done to the relationship and needed to talk honestly in a safe place where the image didn't matter about where he could go and what strategies he could have from there. And then just yesterday, I took my wife to a My Favorite Gift Shop, Home Depot, and, <laughs> and asked her to pick out something nice. And, and while we were checking out, uh, another dad walked in, another West County labeled dad walked in. And uh, my wife taught preschool back in the day. And it's amazing, her recall. She, she is so gifted and able to recall people. And she said, how's your daughter? And she even mentioned her daughter by name because she had that daughter in preschool, you know, back in the day. And he said, well, uh, she's now a senior in college. And uh, she has a baby, a one-year-old baby. And uh, kind of put his head down. You know, like, that's not the image that families want. You know, is she married? No, she's not married. But, you know... We're happy for her. At least he could get to that point where he could be happy for her. You know, we deal with all of these labels and all of these images, and, and they become oppressive for us. You know, America is all about labels. It's all about labeling things, and it's all about labeling people. You know, if we were to identify ourselves, we'd probably use some labels. We'd say we're conservatives, or we're liberals, or we're Christians, or we're skeptics. We're edgy, we're blue-collar, we're white-collar, we're middle management. We're boat rockers, we're the working poor, we're, if you're in Ferguson, maybe protesters, or maybe you're law-abiding citizens who are upset with protesters. You're divorced, you're single, you're middle-aged, you're anxious, you're stressed, you're a homeowner, you're depressed. Those two don't necessarily go together, but sometimes. We're renters, we're people in transition. In fact, Americans have made an art form, literally made an art form out of labels. I don't know if you recognize this guy, Brendan O'Connell. He's become somewhat famous, although he got chased out of a few Walmart stores because he would set up professional cameras in Walmart, and they thought he was scouting them out for the competition, when in fact he was taking pictures of their shelves because he saw something really special about the display of material goods in our stores. And he's been featured now on... uh, Time Magazine, who called him America's brand name painter. He's also been featured on 60 Minutes and uh, Sunday Mornings uh, program as well. And you might recognize some of his artwork now. His artwork now sells for tens of thousands of dollars. And some of his most expensive pieces hang in a corporate headquarters down in Bentonville, Arkansas. I don't know why, but down there somewhere. Applying labels to food is a good thing. I think we all do it. You know, I've become adapt at reading labels. I look for things that I want to shun. Trans fats, high fructose corn syrup, amen? (laughs) Aspartame, high levels of sodium, sugar, carbs, calories. Never read labels like I read labels now. I look for things that are good too. Organic is good. High in fiber is good. Whole grain is good. Natural, grass-fed, free-range And we like stores like Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or Lucky's Market. Labels help us shun bad things when applied to food. But when we apply them to people, we have to be careful because they also help us shun people. 
I want to invite the volunteers to come down and, and, and give you a wristband. And I don't want you to do anything with the wristband now except put it on your arm. I don't want you to write anything on it. I just want you to put it on your arm. And I want you to think about what label that you carry that you would like to be rid of. You know, what's the high fructose corn syrup of your life? You know, what's the thing about you that, that uh, frustrates you and that others think about you or that you think about yourself? Because labels do three things when applied to people. They will rob people of their individuality and identity. Labels will also cause you to be alone in a crowd. They will, because they don't apply and yet people see you that way and you think, you don't know me. And so they cause us to feel loneliness and despair. And they make us fearful of reaction if we act not according to our label. So they do three things. They hide our identity. They isolate us from people. And they make us fearful. Not every label is necessarily negative. Some of the most oppressive labels are, are positive labels. You're the reliable one. You're the good kid. You're the straight A student. You're the stable one. And we know that that's not completely true either. And that can become onerous and burdensome when we're thought that we have to be that all the time. And, until finally we just say, I refuse to be that anymore. On the screen we're going to put 25 different labels 25 different un-things, unfaithful, untrustworthy, unproductive. You know, what do people think of you? What's, just don't write that down. Just think about that as you think about that label. You know, how do people label you unloved? Do you feel that way? Do you feel unaccepted? You know, what is the label that you would like to peel off today? And we're going to take a look at one of the most powerful personal stories uh, in the Bible that's recorded in, in Mark about a lady, a lady who had a label. And, and it was an objectively true label about her. And yet Jesus did not see her in the way that she saw herself, nor in the way that other people saw her. And I pray that this is an important lesson for you as it is also for me. And so we look at Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. But instead of getting better, she only got worse. Now you have to understand that a woman who was hemorrhaging in the scripture was considered unclean. And she had to do certain things that, that other people uh, weren't required to do. And it isolated her and it put her in a special class of people, an unclean class of people. And this lasted for 12 years. There was no relief from being called unclean. That was her label that others gave to her and that she also accepted for herself. She had suffered a great deal, it says. And when she heard about Jesus and, and the miracles that he had done, you can imagine the rumor mill... Notice, she didn't come straight up to him. She came up behind him in the crowd, just touched his cloak. Because she thought, if, if I could just touch his clothes, I believe that I can be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt that within her body, she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. 
What an incredible insight into Jesus. And he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? <laughs> to the consternation of his disciples. I, I love the honesty of this. And the disciples said, uh, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you ask us who touched you? Everybody has touched you. Everybody who can get within arm's reach has touched you. But Jesus kept looking. I like the Greek translation of this. It's, it's more accurate. It said, he turned and looked intently at her. You know, like, like you know, <laughs> and so there was no place to hide. You know, that's the image. Jesus looked intently at her uh, to see who it was who had touched him. Then the woman, knowing that the gig was up and what had happened to her, she came and fell down at his feet and trembling with fear because of what he might say for her violation of the laws, told him the whole truth, expecting to be reprimanded, I'm sure. And he said to her, unclean woman? No, he said to her, daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. Her disease had robbed her of her identity. She was labeled unclean. Old Testament laws were in play for her, especially from Leviticus chapter 15. If you want to read about it, you can. Now, it seems in our era to look back on that, you know, why should she be called something so negative as unclean, you know, when she had a medical issue? Why would that disqualify anybody from anything? It was a medical problem. There should be sympathy for her, not condemnation. You have to understand the Old Testament laws, especially these clean and unclean laws that determined what they could eat and what they could do and, and what things made them unclean. These were people who came out of Egypt over a million strong and lived in close community with each other. Epidemics were a real threat to that kind of living in close proximity. And it could wipe out an entire nation if something broke out. And so there were certain things that made you unclean. A discharge of blood would make you unclean because blood could be caused, you know, a discharge of blood could be caused by a lot of negative things. A lot of disease would be associated with with discharge of blood. And so a woman who had even gone through her cycle would have to remove herself for a time and then go through a process where she would again be ceremonially clean and come back into the, into the group. But this woman never had a time when she wasn't unclean for 12 years. The same with foods that they could eat or not eat. If you analyze them, they were the kinds of food that spoil, the kinds of food that it would carry disease and so they were limited from them they couldn't touch a dead body or if they did touch a dead body they were unclean because you know a lot of things can be associated with death and and a lot of things can happen when people live in close proximity to death you see the Ebola uh, thing that's going on in Africa today and how the people garb up in the rubber and and uh, are very careful about isolation those were the reasons for uncleanness but as it's said in the New Testament so true uh, the letter of the law kills, but the reasons for the law, the spirit of the law gives life. But people lived in the Old Testament often under the letter of the law, and it was destructive. And it became something that God never intended it to be. You know, because she was unclean, 
She had to live apart, alone, apart from the community. Anyone who touched her would also become unclean. Or if she touched anyone, as in touching Jesus, he would become unclean according to Jewish legalism. Her bed was considered unclean. No one could touch her bed, not even her children. Any place she sat was unclean and no one else could sit where she had sat. If she had intimate contact with her husband, he would be unclean for seven days himself until it could be proven that he was not injured, that he was still healthy. You see, when you have a label, you are no longer an individual. You are a condition. I don't know what people say about you, who you are, or what you think about yourself, but I guarantee you, you are no longer an individual complex and not perfectly that thing But you are a condition. That's how you see yourself. That's how others see you. Others think that of you. You begin to believe that of you. And she began to think of herself differently too. A condition to be dealt with. Labels rob us of our human nature. No longer by virtue of Old Testament law, but by virtue of commonly held belief. We pigeonhole people. And we do it sometimes, we believe, for good reasons. If you hire on to a significant position in our staff, uh, I guarantee you that we will give you a Myers-Briggs test. You know, I am an ENTP. I'm labeled. Some of our staff are ISTJs or ESTPs, you know, introspective, extrovert, sensing or intuitive, thinking or feeling, judging or perceiving. No matter whether that's good or bad... Based on your perception, you are labeled. You are a condition. You are a good person. You are a troubled person. You are an ex-wife, an ex-husband, a staff member, a boss, a loser, a cancer survivor. You know, I'm all about, you know, the orange ribbon or the uh, pink ribbon and, and uh, you know, standing for survival. But when people begin to identify themselves as surviving anything and lose their identity in that, then there's trouble. Uh, you know, our... Do you have a special needs child? Is every special needs child like every other special needs child? I don't think so, but they get that label. Are you an outsider, an immigrant, an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic? Are you an athlete, a nerd, a trophy wife, a stay-at-home mom, a working mom, a trust baby? Are you retired like every other retired person? Probably not, but... You have that label. Physically challenged, are you damaged goods? You see, when, when you accept a label on yourself or when other put, people put labels on you, you lose your identity. You become a condition. First they think it of you and then you begin to believe it of you. This passage has meant so much to me because I've fought labels all my life and you know that's true. First uh, Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. And, and man, I highly recommend this to other leaders who are constantly subject to expectations of people that they can in no wise meet because, believe it or not, you all don't agree about everything. And, uh, and I've struggled with, you know, what is the right thing to do often in my life. And, and Paul, you know who Paul was. Paul was the guy responsible for the death of the first martyr of the church, Stephen. You know, he was a person who imprisoned Christians. Christians died because of Paul. So the rest of his ministry, no matter the fact that he himself became a martyr, no matter that he himself gave up his life to preach Jesus Christ to the world, still people talked about him. Oh, you know what he did? They were afraid of him because he had that label as a persecutor of the church. 
And Paul finally had to make peace with that. Not just what others thought of him, but what he thought of himself because of his past. He said, I care very little. I've reached the point where, you know, you can think what you want. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any group of people. Indeed, I don't even sit in judgment with myself. And and I'll tell you that this is easier to deal with than this. Because you can deal with other people and you can say, they don't know me. But when you start judging yourself and when you have a view of yourself, that's harder to kick. And Paul had reached the point where I don't even kick myself for my past mistakes. My conscience is free. Boy, wouldn't you love to be that? My conscience is free. But that doesn't make me innocent. That doesn't mean I don't have problems. That doesn't mean I don't have issues. But it is the Lord who judges me. The one who called the woman daughter. Therefore, don't allow anyone to judge anything, and don't you judge anything before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. Wait until the end of the world when you stand before Christ. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose even the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. And that was a tremendous freedom for Paul. He said, you know, I don't care what you think. I'm not even going to kick myself for my past mistakes because I care more what the Lord thinks about me. And he really knows me. And he doesn't judge based on superficial behavior. He judges because we can act out. We can pretend. And we can do things to trick or, uh, you know, give a different image than is real. But he knows even the motive of the heart. Paul was at peace. And in that, he had his identity recovered. Secondly, this woman who had this issue of blood for 12 years was isolated because of her condition. I mean, literally isolated. And she had begun to believe that she was troubled, that that she was unclean. She took that upon herself, as she says in the scripture, when she finally decides to go to the Lord. She came up behind him. She didn't say, you know... I believe that he can heal me and I'm going to just call out to him, you know, like others did, or I'm not, I'm not going to just confront him. She thought, no, if, if I just secretly touch his clothes from behind, I will be healed. See, if she'd gone straight up to him and if she'd been seen in the crowd, others might know her and others might have called her out. She herself was willing to violate social standards, but she didn't really believe that she belonged there. How many times has your label caused you to feel like you don't belong there? That's why it's so deadly for those of us who have influence over children. I don't care whether you're a coach or a scout leader, especially a teacher. Be careful that you not label a child. That they become a label. You know, I've told many people that if I was raised in today's society, I definitely would be on Ritalin or what other compliant medication they could prescribe. You know, I was a lot of things as a kid. You know, I was an athlete. I was ornery. I was disruptive. I was a class clown. I was sometimes disrespectful. I grew up on the wrong side of town, didn't have the right clothes. Nothing I could do about that, so you act out. If you don't talk it out, you act it out. I was a problem child, but I was also gifted. A problem child who's gifted is a real problem child. I was independent. I was impulsive. In high school, I loved music. I wanted to sing in the choir, but my friends were athletes, man. Athletes don't sing in the choir, Steve. You know, you can't go to that rehearsal. 
I love studying, but my friends were athletes, and athletes don't study. And so I made less grades in high school than I could have achieved because I didn't want to look too smart. I might have been put on the outside of the group that I loved. I loved ROTC, but my friends didn't. I loved athletics, but my nerdy friends didn't like the athletes so much. Why do I have to choose? Why can't you be a person? Why can't you be a complex individual instead of a label? Man, teenagers, college kids, think about that. Don't allow people to pigeonhole you. I still have a few labels that I fight against. I'm a pastor. What does that conjure up in your mind? Most people, when they hear that, say, you're a pastor? (laughs) You don't look like a pastor. You don't act like a pastor. I'm a Lutheran pastor. No, I know that's not true. You know, there are labels that I still struggle with. I'm impulsive. I'm unpredictable. I'm inappropriate. I'm strong-willed. I was once called a while back to be the senior pastor uh, of uh, St. John Lutheran Church in Seward, Nebraska. Now, Seward, Nebraska at the time was our largest training university for our denomination. And and St. John Church was the church right across the street from the university campus. It was a massive church, a big church, one of the biggest in all of Nebraska. And it served that campus and also was kind of the, you know, the the charter church for the whole state of Nebraska. And uh, I asked them, you know, after the interview, and I went out because... You know, we don't, we don't solicit calls, you know, and if they finally come, then you have to go through the, the process of discerning God's will for you. And, and, and finally, I just, I, I said, I don't know why I'm here. I, I said, all of your pastors, I walked by the pictures, and they were that kind of church, you know, they had a legacy, and they had all their pictures of their pastors uh, in the lobby outside the sanctuary. They all had collars on. I don't wear a collar. You know, all their pastors wore robes in church. I don't wear a robe. Uh, they uh, went to their office in suits. I don't wear a suit when I preach. If I'm wearing a suit, somebody you love is probably in a box sitting up front here, you know. Or, or else there's two people about to be married. You know, that's when we put our suits on, typically. Uh, they ran traditional worship. We're not so much into traditional worship. They honored all things LCMS. We don't necessarily do that. Different scared them. Different doesn't scare me. And so I said... Why am I here? What led you? What were you possibly thinking to call me as your senior pastor? And here's what they said. They said, well, you have the reputation that it's your way or the highway. And that's what we need here. (laughs) I said, that is no compliment to me. And it's not true, by the way. You know, we do have standards, but that's not true, by the way. And it didn't take me too long to send that paper back. We are not everything that people think that we are when they label us. And it causes us to feel alone. Like, you don't really know me if you put a label on me. I'm more complex than that. Am I any of those things, you think? Huh? (laughs) I'm some of those things. And I'm some of those things some of the time. But I'm not all those things all of the time. You know, we're each that way. We're a piece of that and a piece of this. But we're not our label. Again, Paul had to deal with that to the expectations of others. He said, what a wretched man I am. You know, it's so difficult to be who I am. Who can rescue me from who I am? You know, subject to death, subject to constant disappointment, subject to constant frustration, 
Thanks be to God who gives me the deliverance through my Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Her label robbed her of identity. Her label caused her to feel alone and misunderstood. And her label also made her fearful. Fearful of criticism. Notice that when Jesus turns around and looks intently at her and said, Who touched me? And looks right at her and what the scripture has to say. She fell at his feet. She had been found out with trembling and fear. And she told him the whole truth. See, she, by being unclean, had touched him and had made him unclean. She had an idea what to expect. No, she knew what to expect because she had been there before. And she had been told before. And this religious leader would be faithful to the religious truth of the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 15. She was certain of that until she was surprised. He was not who she thought he would be. She was fearful of his rejection, fearful of his criticism. Our labels rob us of our courage. They make us fearful of what others might think. If we don't conform to the herd mentality, we will be attacked until we do. Uh, An elder friend of mine, a man who's on the board of elders, uh, has has understood me more than most in the complexity of what I do and, and who I am and, and how I struggle with my personality doing what I do. He said, Steve, why would you expect anything else? The world wants conformity. The church wants conformity. If you stick your head up, expect to be shot. <laughs> conformity is the path to acceptance. But conformity is not what God wants from you. He hasn't made you all alike. You are all different. I love quotes, and, and I hang on to them for a long time, and I recall them, and they help me in life. And one that I have especially appreciated over time is it, not by me, but by somebody I don't recall anymore. You know how that goes, you know. Uh, you say back in the day, you know, John said this once, and then you said a wise man once said, and then finally you just said, I was thinking the other day. You know, and you, and you, you kind of own it, but I'm just being honest. This isn't my quote. Uh, the quote is, why do you try so hard to fit in? When God has made you unique to stand out, why do you try so hard to be a label? When God has made you different for a purpose. He has called you to be salt and light. But if salt has lost its saltiness, if it's lost its unique quality, then it's just sand. It has no purpose. And if light isn't light in dark places, then things you know, are not enlightened. And people continue to live with misconception and error. God wants you to stand out, not fit in, not get along, but to be who he made you to be. John, the disciple that Jesus loved, talked a lot about fear. He said there is no fear in love. When Jesus called that woman daughter, her fear went right out of her. Because he saw the love and compassion in her eyes. At first, who touched me? And he looked intently at her and she thought, oh, now it's going to come. But then he said, daughter... There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out the fear from her and drives out the fear from you if you know how much God loves you. Because fear has to do with punishment. She was not going to be punished. The one who fears has not yet been made perfect in love. If you fear, then you're still living under the perception of a label. God does not look at you that way. Jesus died to set you free. Why will you again be subject to the yoke of slavery of a label? 
There was nothing more heart-wrenching. I'm, I'm a bit of an amateur historian. There's nothing more heart-wrenching than watching that period right after the Civil War when uh, black slaves in the South were freed. Their condition after their freedom almost became worse than their slavery because the white plantation owners now made them be sharecroppers or put them under Jim Crow laws. The KKK drove fear into them. And, and, and just like Israel, when they were finally freed from Egypt, said, at least back in Egypt we had food to eat. You know, we're starving out here. I wonder how many black people thought that. Well, at least the master provided for our needs. But he also beat you. He also sold your wife and your children. Yeah, but at least we ate. Now we starve. And there's a danger to run to the label rather than deal with the freedom. But God has set you free. Perfect love drives out fear. He who loved you so much to die for you on the cross, will he not walk with you and bless you in your uniqueness, despite the fact that you are not a conformist anymore? Because when the Lord looks at you, he doesn't look at a label. He knows you by name. I want to just close with just reading three simple scriptures. Don't need to teach on them. I just want you to take them down. I want you to think about them. The first is uh, a passage from Isaiah. Powerful passages about how God looks at us. And, and not as a label, not as a condition, but as a person for whom he died. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob... He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Don't have so much fear. Love drives out fear if you know he redeemed you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. It doesn't mean you won't go through fire. It doesn't mean you won't go through hard times. But the flames will not set you ablaze. You're going you're to be an asbestos person. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Not only has God called you by name, that God made you who you are. He made you unique. Uh, reading from Jeremiah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah said, before I even formed you, I formed you. I made you who you are. I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I made you distinct. I made you unique. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And finally, the words of Jesus himself. My sheep, you, the ones for whom Christ died. Listen to my voice, not the voice of the crowd, not the voice in your head. Listen to my voice. I know you. Follow me. And if you do, I will give you life after death, and you will never perish. And no one can snatch you out of my hands. There is comfort in that. The Lord treats you not as a title, not as a label, but as an individual by name. He's given you a, a new label, in fact, a, a powerful label. It's also mentioned in, in John. Read it with me. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Now back to the wristband. I had you think about, you know, the things that disqualify you, the things that frustrate you, the labels that you carry in life. We've intentionally in this series provided time for personal worship. Be still and know that I'm God kind of time. 
And that's what we're about to enter here. Behind me in just a moment, 16 scriptures with 18 different titles as to the way God looks at you are going to be shared. And I want you to look at those 18 different phrases. You don't have to, if, if number three hits you, write it on your label, write it on your wristband. And, and own, that's the way that God looks at me. Not the way the world looks at me, not even the way I've judged myself, but how God sees me. So listen to these scriptures, look at them, and write the one that, that speaks to your heart and to your condition, and accept that as God's view of you. May God bless your personal worship. Amen.